0: As we're walking through the Bible today, we close out the Old Testament by looking uh, at five things God revealed about the promised Messiah, the Savior. We began with Adam and Eve. Uh, After uh, they eat that forbidden fruit in the garden, uh, God promises that uh, one of Eve's descendants... Uh, would crush the serpent's head, referring to uh, Jesus, his suffering and death on the cross that would deal that fatal blow to Satan. Then about 2000 BC came Abraham, who raised that knife to slay his only son Isaac as God had commanded. God then provides that lamb in the thicket, in the thorns, uh, as God also provided Jesus dying on that cross wearing that crown of thorns. In about 1500 BC, God raises up Moses to free Israel from their slavery in Egypt. Uh, God sending that angel in the last plague to slay the firstborn in Egypt. When the blood of the Passover lamb is spread over the door, the angel of death passes over, reminding us again and looking ahead to Jesus. Uh, who as he has given his blood on that cross, the angel of death will pass over us, giving us eternal life in heaven. Last week then, we jumped another 500 years to 1000 BC when David uh, slay the giant Goliath, again to deliver Israel, uh, pointing ahead to Jesus uh, defeating Satan, delivering us from slavery and death. So today, again, we're going to jump about another 500 years to 500 BC. But before we do that, what had happened? Well, David does defeat Goliath. Uh, Saul eventually dies, and David does indeed become king. Now, David is certainly not a perfect king, but uh, he was also faithful and repenting of his sins, trusting uh, in God's promise for a savior, While wanting to build a temple to the Lord, God said that it would actually be his son who was to do that. Uh, So Solomon comes along. Solomon uh, mostly reigns faithfully, at least at first. Uh, He does build the temple uh, and builds it on that same mountain where God stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. Solomon, as he grew older, though... uh, wasn't quite as faithful. He married many foreign wives, and his love for them turned his heart from the Lord, even building temples to the false gods. Uh, Because of Solomon's unfaithfulness, God said he would snatch uh, the ten tribes from Solomon's son Rehoboam. And so after Solomon died, God divided Israel into two kingdoms. There were ten tribes to the north that formed Israel, Now, the northern kingdom was led by a series of kings who were all evil and led them, Israel, away from God. So in time, God handed them over to the Assyrian Empire in 722, who led them into exile, dispersing them across the territory. The northern kingdom totally disappears. You may have heard of the ten lost tribes of Israel. It's the northern kingdom that disappears. Two tribes remain for David's descendants. They made up Judah, the southern kingdom. They are called Jews because they are descendants of Judah. The southern kingdom fared a little better. Among David's descendants, there were some, at least, decent men, two remarkable men of faith, Hezekiah and Josiah. But for the most part, they also were wicked, unbelieving descendants, Uh, also dragging eventually uh, the southern kingdom uh, down a path of disobedience and idolatry, uh, resulting in them being handed over to the Babylonian Empire uh, and King Nebuchadnezzar in 587 BC. This empire conquered Jerusalem, looted the temple, burnt it, and destroyed it to the ground Uh, They tore down the walls. Most of the survivors uh, were actually led into exile for roughly 70 years. As we look at the challenges of both the northern and the southern kingdom being faithful to God, we know that challenge. You and I, in many ways, are no different. Daily, we struggle with rejecting God, his rules, his way, we want to do those things that we think make our lives thrilling, fulfilling. And yet, like Judah, we deserve to be thrown from God's presence. Exiles, suffering uh, in chains of hell forever. But God loves his children. Even when we disobey. You remember the promise that he made to raise up one of David's sons, the promised Messiah. So even in exile, he watched over those people of Judah seeing and sending them great prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and a remarkable leader, the prophet named Daniel. Now, the Babylonians took a lot of their promising young exiles and trained them to be political leaders who would represent the conquered people and keep them in line. So we read in Daniel chapter 3, where Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, were uh, into strict training to become wise men, scholars uh, who would be magistrates, advisors to the king. Another name for these people are magi. They are wise men. Sound familiar? Five centuries later, these Wise men would travel to Bethlehem, bringing their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to worship the young child, Jesus. Well, in many ways, the course of Daniel's life is similar to uh, Jacob's son, Joseph, who we talked about earlier in the series. Uh, Both Daniel and Joseph were dragged in chains to a foreign world power. Both went through trials and difficulties, rose to high positions, both were leaders who conducted themselves with integrity and honesty, and their emperors appreciated that. Now, Daniel was able to use his position with the Babylonian government to watch out for the Israelites and bring God glory in various situations. Now, about 70 years uh, into after the destruction of Jerusalem, the unthinkable happened in some ways, Babylon, the great world power, is actually conquered by the Persian Empire. Now ruled by uh, kings Cyrus and Darius, suddenly Daniel and his government are now on the wrong side. Now, he could have been executed, but God was with him, and the Persian emperor embraced him and gave him a very high position within the Persian government, one of three presidents. And Daniel proved himself so efficient and skilled and honest, uh, the emperor was prepared to raise him to the highest position under him, administering the whole empire on his behalf. Well, back to the story. Would you be surprised if I told you that Daniel's other rivals were not so happy with playing second fiddle to him? Well, of course they aren't. So they look for a way to discredit him, change the emperor's mind about Daniel. So they look for some corruption, some fault in him, something that he's doing wrong, some impropriety in his administration. But we said Daniel governed with honesty and integrity. They couldn't find a thing wrong with him or what he was doing. They came to realize that the only way that they were going to trip him up would be to find some way to trap him in regards to his faith to God. So they butter up Emperor Darius and cunningly convince him to make a law forbidding any subject to pray to any god except him. They say you have to pray to King Darius 30 days. Now... Darius's pride, I guess, got the better of him. He goes ahead and signs that into law. And just as they suspected, Daniel refuses to obey, refuses to stop his lifelong habit of praying to God. So they catch him in the act. They drag him before King Darius. Now, Darius is actually grieved, we read, He's troubled that this hand-picked administrator of his was on the wrong side of the law that all of a sudden he realized was very foolish. So he spends the rest of the day trying to figure out a loophole in his law, and he couldn't find one. So finally, what does he do? Daniel's enemies have been too clever, uh, unable to change the law or stop the punishment, he is forced to order Daniel to be put into the den of lions. His fate was sealed, but did you hear him also tell Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you? So Darius returns to the palace. He ate nothing allowing no entertaining diversions to be brought to him. He doesn't sleep that night. And so the next morning he rushes over to the lion's den and in an agonizing tone, he asks this interesting question. He shouts into the lion's den, O oh Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you From the lions, has your God been able? I I want that, and I imagine this sort of dramatic pause. And then Daniel replies, O king, live forever! My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Darius is thrilled. He orders the stone to be removed from the entrance of the den. Daniel lifted out with no injury whatsoever. When the king receives him back safe and sound, his wrath turned on those who had accused Daniel. He orders them to be cast into the lion's den. And the lions killed them all before they had even hit the ground. Daniel takes his place at the emperor's right hand, administering the Persian Empire for the benefit of the people Israel. Now, obviously, this was vitally important for the children of Israel. Daniel remains in a position of influence. Not long after, a royal edict was announced permitting the Jews to return to Jerusalem to reestablish and build the temple. This is huge. But Daniel also chooses to stay in Babylon, even though he could have returned to help rebuild the temple. He's the beginning of what is known as the Diaspora, the group of displaced Jews who are living outside of the promised land. Okay. So again, what does this all mean for us? Great Sunday school story, great story about the lion's den and all of that. So what? Well, there's a lot of politics in Daniel. And one of the driving questions throughout this story is, how do you live in a place where your nation doesn't fear God and worship him? If you think about it, we are actually an anomaly in world history in the United States. For the most of the world, for most of world history, this has been a real dilemma. The nation that people have lived in does not worship the true God. What happens when the values of the people around you aren't God's values? What do you do? Well, revolt is not actually an option. The Bible calls us to obey those in authority and pray for them. Fighting is not an option. We're called to live at peace with everyone. What do you do when your government doesn't support and encourage your God and what God values? Even though there were genuine threats to Daniel living out his faith Daniel chooses to remain faithful to God To borrow the words of Peter when he was placed on trial before the high priest We must obey God rather than man Now when we do so we entrust ourselves to the God who loves us and cares for us Now, what's challenging is that God doesn't always spare his people when they suffer, when they're threatened for their faith. Sometimes we may suffer for our faith. But we also know that God will always bring us through those challenges, giving us the faith to endure, the strength to endure, eventually bringing us to that perfect reward of peace and harmony in heaven. This event of Daniel in the lion's den is also important because it also prefigures another aspect of the saving mission of God's son. Like Daniel, Jesus was accused of violating imperial law, Roman law. Like Darius, the Roman leader, Pontius Pilate also recognized that there was no basis for a charge against Jesus. Yet the accusers, stuck to their guns, forced Pilate uh, to grant their wishes, ordering Jesus' execution. For Jesus suffered and died on that cross to take away our sins. Jesus was buried in the tomb, sealed by a large stone rolled over the entrance, like that stone that sealed Daniel into the lion's den. And early on the third morning, God the Father ordered an angel to roll the stone from the entrance of the grave so the women who could rush to the tomb that had thought they were coming to complete Jesus' burial would find him missing. Just like Daniel, Jesus left that tomb alive and well. Just like Daniel ruling under Darius, Jesus took his place at the right hand of the Father to administer the rule of God over all of creation and for the benefit of all his people, the Christian church, to one day bring us home to himself. And until that day we too right now live in exile. We don't live in that promised land. We aren't in heaven, not now. We we wait for that, but while we're in exile, while we're not in the promised land, how will you live? How do you live in a world that that may sometimes encourage and promote you to walk away from God and his values? Will you live in the world? Will you live like the child of God that you have been made to be in your baptism? How do we choose to live? How are we faithful? Faithful. Now, through five weeks, we have seen five vivid previews that God gave us in the Old Testament of people living in that saving work of the promised Messiah and what he would do uh, through his death and resurrection. We've been jumping every 500 years. We're now at year 500 BC. So next year, I guess I have to do, yeah, Jesus. We're going to come to Jesus and look forward to how uh, his birth answered all of those promises of God, all of those foreshadowings, how it becomes the fulfillment of thousands of years of God's plan of salvation. Until we see that. As you live as exiles, as you live struggling with your faith and your world, may the peace of God which transcends all understanding guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.